Good morning. Welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. My name is Pastor Roy. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're glad you've joined us because we've started a series called Face to Face with Jesus. And in this series, we took a look at the lives of people in the Bible that came face to face with the Messiah. And through their experience, their lives were changed forever. We believe that for us, a face to face encounter with Jesus changes everything. Maybe you've tuned in to this message and you're skeptical, skeptical about who Jesus says he is or who he is. As a church, we're okay with that. We want you to explore your faith and spiritual life along with us. But we believe that as you pursue the truth of who Jesus is, you will come face to face with him. And through that encounter, you will be changed for the better. This morning, I want to look at the idea that things aren't always going to go as planned. One of the areas where it seems like something is bound to go wrong is weddings. Anytime I've been chatting with a younger couple that is getting married, I always tell them, expect something to go wrong. I think because in a wedding, well, we, when I say we, I really mean the bride, we want everything to be perfect. We want that day to be perfect. It's one of the biggest days of your life. And, and the girl puts so much thought and planning into every detail. But if you, determine, if you determine whether the day was a success or not based on perfection, you're usually gonna be let down. Because anytime you involve animals or kids or unpredictable uncles, something is bound to go awry. We had a friend one time that decided for their wedding after the ceremony was all over, they wanted to release butterflies, one for every guest. And they hired someone to do this, and they brought the butterflies in, all in this big crate. And when everyone had gathered on the lawn in front of the church when the, when the wedding was over, they opened up the crate. Now, imagine this magnificent scene of all these butterflies, these beautiful butterflies flying out and just celebrating their love. Except that's not what happened. Because instead, one of the butterflies had contracted a disease. And that disease passed from one butterfly to another. And they didn't even know. So when they opened up the box, instead of all these butterflies coming out, 200 dead butterflies lay in the box. That wasn't the plan. Jen and I experienced our own mishap at our wedding. For Jen, it was her dream to be transported on her special day in a horse and buggy. Very romantic. So we found this company that offered this service and booked them for the big day. And on the day of our wedding, Jen got a phone call. The horse that was being transported to the place to come get her that morning, as they were driving down a steep hill with the horse in a trailer, the trailer jackknifed and flipped and the horse was hurt badly. And that part is extremely sad. But instead of arriving at the church in style, Jen showed up in her dad's old beat-up van that he used for drywall. And friends of ours were extremely generous and lent us their convertible for the drive from the church to the reception. Actually, if you watch our wedding video, you can see them during the reception line out on the front lawn. You can see them running back and forth in the parking lot with buckets of water, washing their car just to make it look good for our day. It was probably in that moment that I knew I had married the right person. Because the way you respond in the moments 
Moments like that reveal something about your character. See, my wife saw the day for what it was. A day where we got to unite under God in front of our closest friends and family. A perfect wedding wasn't actually the goal. You need to understand, there are going to be bumps and bruises in life. Your life will not go as planned from start to finish. There are going to be tough, tough decisions. There's going to be tough, that tough di diagnosis. There's going to be that phone call letting you know that a loved one has passed on. Let's face it, life is hard. Have you ever been around someone that when things got tough, they respond by lashing out or saying something hurtful or foolish even? And then when they realize what they've said or what they've done, they claim they don't know where it came from or it's completely out of character for them. I would argue that's not necessarily true. See, when life gets tough, when the pressure, pressure mounts, when what comes out of you usually is an overflow of what, is, what your heart is full of. Jesus said this himself, that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And part of the reason, uh, part of the reason that is our priorities and what our values are. But think about it for a moment. What do you prioritize in life? Because a lot of your regrets in life would have been avoided if you had different priorities. Priorities are the reason a parent will dive into a pool or a lake when one of their kids is struggling to swim. And they don't care what they're wearing. They don't care what clothes they have on. They don't care that they have their, their, their phone in their pocket. They don't care they have that expensive watch on. They just jump in. Because priorities understand that our valuables can be replaced, but our kids or loved ones aren't. This is the reason why our frontline workers get up each day and head to work, exposing themselves to a deadly virus, because they've placed the priority of the lives and health of others over their own safety. We live our lives based on our values and our priorities. The second thing is, is that we need to understand that our priorities reveal our hearts. So let me ask you this for a second. When life gets tough and challenging, and for many of you, you're writing this right now, what is your viewpoint on God? Because how you view God, especially during crisis, will change how you view crisis. This morning, I want to look at this fascinating story that we find in John chapter 11. If you have your Bible with you, you can tune there. If you don't, I'll have the passages up here on the screen so you can follow along there. Or, or maybe you have your device with you. If you don't have a Bible, but you own a device, can I encourage you to look up an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N? It's a free Bible app with a number of different translations that even has some daily devotionals that can help you study what you're reading. So John writes this letter that we call, well, John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he writes, four of the, he writes one of the four Gospels. Now, the word gospel means good news, and John's account is one of the four that we find in the New Testament. And this story looks at the lives of of a couple ladies and how they respond when life just kind of falls apart. We're going to look at the response in the midst of crisis and how they view God and how they view Jesus. And if we can grasp this, it will change us. So here we go. John 11 verse 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. And when John says sick here, he means Lazarus was critical. Death was near. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, 
was the same one who poured, poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to, to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, here's the perplexing verse. Verse 6 says this. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What you need to know is this. Jesus was extremely close to these three. Mary and her younger sister Martha and their younger brother Lazarus. They were friends that felt like family. In fact, we know that the week before Jesus died, he spent considerable time with these people because of how close they were with each other. Do you have someone like that? You know, someone where there's no blood relation, but they feel like a brother, or they feel like a sister or a close relative, or maybe you call them aunt or uncle when they're actually not. But what you know is they feel like family. Now, Jesus felt this way about these three. Jesus loved them. And then there's this tragedy and while Jesus is just a few miles away, his buddy Lazarus becomes gravely ill. And we have to assume at this point, Mary and Martha had done everything that they could to get him help in their primitive world with their primitive health care. And in this moment, their world is crashing in. Their little brother, who's actually not so little, he's a man now, is fading and fading fast. And they are desperate and they're thinking, we've got to do something. Because if we don't, our brother is surely going to die. And then they do what many of us do when we don't know what to do. They turn to God. And so they send this message to Jesus to come. And in a shocking twist, Jesus, the definition of love, doesn't come. He stays where he is and Lazarus dies. What? Jesus, where were you? Why wouldn't you come? You said you cared about Lazarus. I thought we were like family. How could you let us down? But as Jesus was about to show them, love isn't based on a feeling. Love is always based on what's best for the other person. And Jesus was about to demonstrate that what was best for Lazarus and ultimately what was best for those around him, he was going to demonstrate. Now John was on to tell about how Jesus arrives four days after Lazarus' death, and brings him back from the dead. It's this fascinating story that even reveals Jesus' human moments of sorrow. In John eleven thirty five, we find the shortest verse in the Bible. If you're not good at memorizing verses, this is a great one, because it's easy. It simply says, Jesus wept. And the reason this verse is so important is because it reveals that God stepped into this world fully human, and the emotions that you have felt like worry and anxiety and stress and pain, well, Jesus felt those too. And that's the story in a snapshot. But let's back up for a second. Because in the middle of their darkness, Mary and Martha do the right thing. They turn to Jesus. They send a message, and it's seven words long. It says this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, imagine for a moment that you've, you have a loved one that is on death's doorstep. 
Do you think, wouldn't your message to God be longer? I know mine would be. Wouldn't your message have a tone of desperation? Wouldn't your message have this level of pleading and begging? A description of all that is wrong and why Jesus needs to come through in this situation? Perhaps all the reasons why this person deserves to be spared? But that's not what they do. In fact, they have this totally different perspective. Instead of talking about how much that person is worthy or how much they love God, they focus on the other direction of love. And they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Not the one that follows the rules. Not the one that gives and serves others. Not the one that prays the best or sings the loudest. No, it's not about the other person. It's about you. The one you love is sick. This points us to how we need to view the gospel or the good news. See, it's either summarized by how humanity loves God or how God loves humanity. And when you determine which one of these it is, it will change everything for you. Because the truth is, we would like to think that we would like to think God loves us, or, or we claim that we believe God loves us, because that's kind of logical. But we live our lives in a way that doesn't line up with that. Because in times of crisis and chaos, while we say God loves us, we act as if, as if everything we do matters. See, if I'm experiencing pain, it must be because I haven't done enough. But that's not the requir requirement of Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you give, or how much you serve, or how much you pray, or how much you read your Bible. Those, things, those are things that you do naturally when you love someone. They're the overflow of your love. But they don't turn God's favor toward you. It was never about what you do. It was always about how God loves you. God's love has nothing to do with your actions or behaviors. We have a hard time believing that. Maybe you've kept God in an arm length away because you feel like you haven't done enough to find his favor or he could never love you. But you need to hear this message. God's love for you is all about how he feels towards you, not how you feel towards him. Because if you buy into the lie that God's love is based on how you act towards him, you will spend your whole life striving to please him, only to feel unworthy and eventually walk away. And maybe you're in a spot right now where you already have one foot out the door. But God's love is so much more beautiful. It's unconditional. It's freely given to you right now, despite what you've done. But we get this all mixed up. Even those that call ourselves followers of Jesus. Okay, let's put it this way. What verse is the most famous verse in the Bible? You'll see this verse everywhere. People will hold it up as, at sporting events, a sign with this verse on it. And the verse is John 3.16. This verse is like our banner verse for our church. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And while many of us can recite this from memory, we live a different verse. We live like it says, For the world loved God so much that he gave his one and only Son. Almost like humanity loved God so much that God had no choice but to act out of compassion and give up Jesus. Like because these people are so good, they serve so well, I guess it's time to go, Jesus. That's not the gospel. 
Because the gospel is irrational. Let's look at that verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you notice that it begins with God? God so loved the world. It has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with my actions. Nothing to do with my behavior. God so loved the world. The whole Bible is God's love for humanity. It begins with God, in the beginning was God, and it ends with God. And in the middle, it's all about God's love for us. For God so loved the world. So. In other words, he's obsessive about you. You might even say he's fanatical. He's irrationally obsessed about people who may not love him back. He's obsessed about people who may curse his name and deny his existence. He so loved the world. He so loves you. He so loves me. That he gave. See, love is only worth something if it's demonstrated. It's more than a feeling. It wasn't God so loved the world that he felt butterflies for it. No, it was bigger than that. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Again, irrational. I mean, I love people and I love my kids, but I wouldn't give up any of my kids for anybody. Whoever believes, that's what the verse goes on to say. There's no qualifiers. There's no, there's no, here's your volunteer checklist. See how many hours you did. There's no, let's weigh your good deeds versus your bad deeds. There's, there's nothing to do but believe. Whoever, whoever believes, whoever means you. God cannot love you any more or any less than he does right now. And if you take anything away from this message, that's what you need to walk away with. God can't love you any more than he does right now. Is your viewpoint on God based on how much you love him? are based on how much he loves you. Because the story that the Bible tells is about a God who relentlessly pursues you at all costs. That same disciple John, he would pen these words later in 1 John 4.10, he said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You want to know what love is? has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God towards you. So Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is dying and they send a message seven words long. Lord, the one you love is sick. This word love is important to understand because the Greek language has different ways to describe love and, and they all have these, they mean these different things. English really just isn't good at differentiating the love. For example, I love my family, and I love my church, and I love my friends. But I also love pizza. And they're not the same. Because the Greek word phileo means a brotherly love. That, that, that's the love I have for my friends, for my family. That is the word that Mary and Martha said to Jesus. Lord, the one that you phileo is sick. And in this moment, we want Jesus to take off running as soon as he hears, but he doesn't. But in verse 5, it says that Jesus 
loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But the word that John uses here is not phileo. It's agape. And maybe you've heard of agape love. This is a perfect, truly unconditional love that God offers to us. Despite the conditions, God's love was unconditional. What do you think of when you think of God's love for you? In the middle of your crisis, do you think of it as conditional brotherly love? Or unconditional, irrational, agape love that only God can truly give? Here's what you need to know. When you're able to come face to face with this love, it changes everything. Let's pray. God, this, this concept of agape love is, is tough to get our head around. Because no matter how much we love people, there always seems to be at least some sort of condition upon it. And yet you love us with an unconditional love that does not matter what we have done. It does not matter what our past is. It does not matter what our behavior has been. But when we turn to you, when we come face to face with you and we put our faith and our belief in you, then we are children of yours forever. And so God, I pray for the person out there today that maybe they've had this wrong concept of what love is or what the wrong concept of who you are. And maybe they've, they've felt like that it's all about them. Maybe they felt that this relationship they wanted to have you, they couldn't come face to face with you because they were not worthy to. God, I pray that this morning that they would, they would come face to face with you, that they would seek you and know that they are loved, that you could not love them more than you love them right now. And so God, I pray that in the middle of crisis, in the middle of chaos, this is the posture that we would take that we would come before you and recognize how you feel towards us, that you love us, and it doesn't matter what we have done. Lord, I pray your blessing on every person that's out there today. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.